Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the King's Crowd Startup Investor Podcast. I am very excited to be joined with Rebecca today. Rebecca is the founder and CEO of DealMaker, and DealMaker is a really interesting platform that enables folks to raise capital online uh, from retail investors. Uh, a lot of you may not know the name DealMaker. Uh, in some ways, that's, that's by design, uh, but I'll let her kind of dive into more of what that actually means. So with that, I'd love to kick it off. And Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Excited to reconnect and be here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when we were down in, uh, in Austin, Texas, right before the end of the year, uh, we had some great conversations and I really thought it'd be nice to have you on the show uh, to talk about what it is that you're all up to at DealMaker. But before we get into that, I'd love for you to just tell our audience a little bit about yourself and how you decided to found DealMaker. Yeah, definitely. So I have been in the deal making space, pun intended, for decades. I was a capital markets attorney for a long time. I started a startups practice and I saw a pain point with my clients that didn't make me happy. I saw founders having a lot of trouble raising capital uh, and the execution piece of that, which you know, knowing founders and seeing how hard it is to go out and get those dollars in and those investors committed, and then just seeing the execution of those deals being a mess, I thought that it was a, a problem and a pain point that was ripe for technology to solve. And so I left the practice. A lot of people called me crazy. My co-founder, Matt, as well, you know, we believed in a vision that we had of building Shopify for the capital market. So building a back-end tool that every investor, every entrepreneur could use to onboard investors smoothly and seamlessly and let them go out there and raise capital and do what they do and use our back-end to make that quick and efficient. Really cool. And I, I love that analogy um, for those who maybe missed it, Shopify for raising capital. Like I, I love that idea of just making it super simple for literally any entrepreneur to spin up and do a capital raise from their customers and retail investors in general. Um, so tell us about some of the success you've had, um, you know, in working with companies. And yeah, what are some of the kind of facts and figures of your business look like to date? So we have had tremendous success. Last year, we closed over a billion dollars in capital. So lots of tra uh, capital transacting through the platform. We launched between 30 and 35 new deals a month. So they're all private portals that the issuers are spinning up with their own you know, self-hosted landing pages, and then they're driving traffic to those landing pages. And so what works really well in this model is they have really granular visibility through our data analytics into their closing funnel. It's the same as using HubSpot or Salesforce for your, for your sales funnel. You get that same level of clarity. And that's our goal, to make it as easy to sell shares online as it is to sell shoes. $1 billion. Uh, so Reg CF, Reg A+, Reg D506C, are those the regulations you work within? All different exemptions. Doesn't matter the exemption you want. Dealmaker can spin up a portal for you. So we accommodate, mostly it's, it's Reg A, largely Reg A, sure. but it could be a lot of 506C and B, Canadian, UK, Australian exemptions. The technology is very flexible for whatever type of capital raise you're doing, debt, equity, units, limited partnerships, doesn't matter. 
Is there a typical stage a company you're working with? I know sometimes folks say, you know, it doesn't make sense to go raise on one of these portals where you're spinning up your own portal unless you already have a strong user base, you have capital to deploy against marketing. Talk about kind of that stage of company that you typically see come on your platform. Yeah, so we will often see companies, if they have their own network, they'll use our basic product and they'll use it, you know, put a link in their investor deck. That's much cheaper product, couple thousand dollars. And so we see companies using it for early stage raises in, uh, you know, when they're pairing it with an investment banker or sources of capital that they have from their network or they might get access to otherwise, where they're doing like a retail raise, like a Reg CF, definitely closer to issuers aiming for the four or $5 million mark uh, is where we see self-hosted raises work the best. And we definitely, you know, veer towards some of the larger reggae's that have been done in 2021 with some of our issuers closing, you know, over a hundred million dollar offering. We've got wow. the Green Bay Packers right now who are uh, closing in on 65 million as that offering's live. So lots of, lots of people really achieving some economies of scale with a self-hosted model. Is there a median size of round that you typically, you know, 10 on the reggae side, is it 10 to $20 million? What, what are you typically seeing there? We definitely, 2021 was an exciting year for reggae because we saw at least 10 of our issuers hit over $20 million raised. So wow. you know, pairing extremely solid marketing methods with other distribution tools with the backend analytics we provide, we're seeing the ecosystem really flourish and start to hit bigger and bigger numbers. And I think that's only going to be accelerated, you know, as we come out of COVID and, and the capital markets change slightly, we're seeing bigger and bigger companies interested in self-hosted raises. And so I think it's gonna be a really interesting transition for the reggae market from 2021 into 2022. Now, do you see that that you know institutional investors are getting involved as well? I mean, some of these companies sound like they're almost moving kind of like a mid-market traditional private equity deal so are you seeing institutions invest via DealMaker too? Yeah, we have. The first one that we saw was on Gage Cannabis, where they did the 50 million raise, large part institutional as well as retail. And then we've seen uh, a number of issuer, other issuers bring in institutional capital alongside a retail, what I call a retail sidecar on a Reg A. And I think there's some really interesting benefits that some of the VCs we're partnering with, as well as some of the institutions are seeing when you have investors who are willing to champion the product and willing to write a couple thousand dollar check into a company to own equity. You know, I love it. One of our VC partners said on a panel we did, you know, that's the price of a Louis Vuitton purse. So that is a high consumer goods purchase when you look at a couple thousand dollar investment into a reg A. And so when you see that kind of brand affinity developing, that's something that they as a VC sit up and take notice of because that's a company that's really resonating with people in a way that that network effect is going to continue to propel it forward. Wow, that's really interesting. No, I, I love that. I mean, I say that all the time. We have almost 4,000 individuals who invested in, in our you know, various rounds of funding. Um, if that's not a testament to people appreciating and valuing your product, I really don't know what is. 
Exactly. Exactly. So how do you go about sourcing the deals that are, are utilizing DealMaker? Um, yeah. How do you go out and find them? We have been really lucky in a lot of inbound traffic, word of mouth, uh, people working with our network of partners. We have a network of partners that's over 140 strong. So a lot of connections that we make for our issuers when they come to DealMaker in terms of different services that they might need in the ecosystem. So we really try to set them up for success as they're building out their offering. And it's very much an ability for them to control and drive their own raise, but they have the power of that partner's network behind them. So that for a long time had driven most of our deal flow. We do run a little bit in terms of ads and and we get some marketed led leads now, Um, but really it's mostly the partner's network and people that see the success of our raises like a Miso Robotics, really sleek, well done raise with Flippy, the, the burger flipping robot and um, raises like that that people want to replicate. And I, I think one of the other things that'll be interesting to our listeners is, you know, the fee structure of working with someone like DealMaker over, you know, a, a traditional platform. What What does a traditional fee structure look like? How does it differ from the big platforms? Yeah, that's a great point. So we charge a technology platform fees, and then you can pair that with maybe you already have, we have public companies who have their own transfer agents. So they've already got those fees covered. They'll need legal fees. Um, They'll need broker dealer licensing fees, but those are more in the neighborhood of 1% versus the 7%. So you can really piece together your own offering. But the biggest benefit is you control your marketing spend and you get full visibility into your marketing-driven funnel, right? So if you drive $100 worth of traffic, you can see where all that traffic goes and use an IR team to make sure you close that traffic and just increase uh, your ROI and make your cost of capital incredibly more efficient. Really interesting. So if you're looking for pinpoint control, you get total, and, and this is something for folks to know, you know, when you do go on um, other platforms, we fund a Republic, all of them, ultimately, you know, the people who come to their platform, in some ways, they kind of control that data and that individual. Whereas here, if you're spending on marketing and whatnot, you can understand exactly what your funnel looks like. And you have the ability to kind of own that individual rather than it being owned by the platform. Is that a good way of presenting it? That's it. Exactly. You, you own your names at the end of the deal. Very, very cool. Um, let's go back to something you, you mentioned. Uh, I know it was kind of a unique thing, and I, I'd love to just dive into it for a second. The Green Bay Packers, they've done this before, kind of giving pseudo ownership to investors to be able to be a part of the team. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what that is, how it works, and um, pretty amazing, $65 million from their fans buying into their uh, into the Green Bay Packers. Is that right? So far, yep. And, um, you know, hopefully by the time this broadcast, it's closed up. So I'm not marketing a live offering, but uh, it's a really exciting one. They they started in the 1920s. They did the first one. This is only the sixth time in history. And I think to me, it really represents this movement that we're seeing with people buying into the constitutional DAO or NFTs, people really wanting ownership in something for the sake of ownership because it enhances their lifestyle. And if you're a Green Bay fan, you want to be an owner of the team because that is part of your lifestyle and who you are, and you want to support your team. And so 
This is only the sixth time in history they've offered ownership positions to their fans. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's a brand that speaks for itself, really doing very little to drive that kind of um, robust energy and traffic. It's, it was an unbelievable offering to launch. Uh, the day it launched, I remember the tension was so thick, you could cut it with a knife, ready for the onslaught. The Reddit threads were going nuts with the anticipation of the fans for that offering. And uh, they came in and they bought, you know, 30 million, I think, in the first 48 hours. Wow. Well, it sounds like they now have enough money to try and pay Aaron Rodgers, but I guess we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see where that goes. Aaron (laughs) Rodgers was tweeting out, you know, his snapshots of Dealmaker saying he was self-employed now. That was hilarious. Oh, that's pretty cool. (laughs) So, um, you know, if people want to find these deals, it's it's a challenge that I think some people have faced, which is, how do we even go and find these deals if they're kind of independent raises? Do you have any, you know, thoughts on that? Um, a lot of people, you know, financial publishers is is the way that they work with a different publisher who gives them access to different deal flows. So some of that may be crypto related, some of that may be early stage pre-go public deals. Um, so I would say that that's the best way. And yeah. I think that's a lot of people these days really taking their own financial planning into their own hands and really sourcing those deals. But that's what I think is exciting about reggae, that whole movement towards people being able to have control over their own, you know, portfolio in a different risk way with setting their own risk appetite, not relying on a financial advisor to do that for them. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, you know, I still learn about certain deals just from being advertised on like Facebook and Instagram and things like that. Um, and it certainly works. It catches my eye. And I, you know, I know that we're, we're working with you all, uh, hopefully to be able to kind of surface up more of those deals efficiently on King's crowd as well. Um, yeah. But it is really cool to be able to kind of market and control your deal uh, to create your own kind of like brand and really own the image and, and vibe of, of what you're doing. Um, so I, I certainly appreciate that. As you look you know, forward the next few years, what are you excited about in kind of the private capital market space, um, specifically, you know, kind of relating to DealMaker? And I will say, I think King's Crowd will be the best outlet to get access to the DealMaker deals going forward, (laughs) uh, because you guys will have them consolidated all in one place. So that'll be phenomenal. Uh, What I'm excited most about the future is as we build out into more and more countries, I think the pools of capital, and you're seeing this, you know, with Web3 and what's happening in the crypto space as well, we are just doing it in a very compliant SEC mandated way, where as we build into new countries, the borders for capital are breaking down. And that's what really gets me excited when we have deals with investors coming in from all different jurisdictions and then the opportunity that that presents for a company to now launch into new jurisdictions. So it's really the effect of the internet and globalization finally having an impact on the capital markets. I'm excited about that and I'm excited about our data analytics. Those are products that we've just launched out of beta And I think a year from now, the way those are driving the capital raising process is just going to make this space more efficient, more robust. We're seeing issuers regularly, you know, punching 20, 30 million. And that that number is just going to keep ticking upward. The amount of hundred million dollar raises we'll see. We've already got a couple 
in this quarter alone. It's only the first quarter of the year. So I think retail capital raising is going to drive a bigger component of the capital markets as a sector. And then combining that with what's happening in the tokenization space, uh, it's an exciting future. Do you think we'll see more kind of secondary sales? Are you thinking about, you know, enabling things like that? We're very much looking at the space. I think that aspect of our space is in the early days, but I definitely think a year from now, we will be in a very different place with tokenization and secondary trading and that having some meaningful impact on, you know, the public markets as well. No, absolutely. And (laughs) I know, uh, you know, there's a lot of Web3 enthusiasts out there who, you know, like that they're circumnavigating all of the regulatory environments right now. What's your stance on that? I mean, can, can that stand forever? I mean, I'd imagine things have to change and they're eventually going to have to follow some rules. Yeah, I think it will. Like, it's got to, right? Like, I was back in the firm, maybe it was six, seven years ago, when it felt like the exact same crazes we're seeing now took place. So it's not the first time that we've seen it. We're seeing it maybe on a bigger scale now. Um, I think it's a good conversation because it drives the regulations forward. And I think we're in an excellent position, you know, where we're making selling shares online as easy as selling shoes. That's not an easy thing to do, right? You've got background checks, you've got matching, you've got different payment methodologies. There's a lot that goes into making that a reality. And so that experience that we're building is going to be applicable, whether it's on Web3 or, or where it is today. Yeah, it seems like you're, you're kind of nicely positioned regardless of the outcome of where things go. But it seems pretty clear that we're moving towards a world where private market securities are more marketable and open to everyone is, is kind of the, the general going notion. Yeah, and that's what excites me about the space. You know, you take a family who isn't accredited investors, they invest a thousand bucks in five different offerings, and one of those offerings, 100Xs, they've now got a meaningful amount of wealth. They can put a deposit on a home. They can send their kids to different schools. And the impacts that will have on society, I think we haven't even started to see yet. We're really in the early days on this. Oh, I couldn't agree anymore. I could have a very long conversation about that. Um, you are in Canada, which is, which is kind of cool. Is there any differences for Canadian investors? Are there regulations different? How do you work kind of cross-border between Canada and the United States? The regulations are different and, and we've coded those all up in the platform to make it really smooth and easy for an issuer to do a cross-border offering, which is important. I think if you're spending marketing dollars, you've got to be able to reach as many eyeballs as possible to make that, that return on investment as cost-efficient as possible. And that's what I, I'm really excited to just continue to piece that out into new jurisdictions. Are you seeing any different appetite between Canadian and U.S. investors for kind of private market securities? Definitely. I mean, the U.S. Uh, capital markets is one of the biggest markets in the world. And the way the SEC has structured the Jobs Act has really caused immense activity in this area. So I think other jurisdictions are seeing it and following. But you know, as usual, the U.S. is a leader in this. Are there any target markets that you think about beyond U.S. Um, as you think about expansion? All the typical ones, Australia, Europe, South America, a lot of activity happening. It's amazing to see a lot of the parallel activity developing in all these different regions. You know, we have um, an Australian broker-dealer client 
who is doing the exact same thing. Uh, we talking to some folks down in Brazil who you had connected me with, again, doing the exact same thing. It's amazing to see what people in all corners of the world come up with that is largely along the same lines. Well, I, I agree. I, I love seeing kind of, to your point, the cross borders and the borders coming down, you know, whether it's Republic acquiring, um, uh, what is it, one of the UK-based firms, Cedars, yep, and then yeah. Crowdcube having a major stake from Seedinvest. There's, there's this growing sense that, you know, private capital markets are global, just like public capital markets, and we need to work cross borders. So I love seeing it. Um, just kind of a, a fun, interesting question for you. If you are an investor who goes and invests in Miso Robotics that's utilizing DealMaker right now, and then they find another deal they like that's also independent but utilizing DealMaker, will their profile already be set up? Do they need to re-enter their information? Or when they're going to different investment opportunities, it'll all be one profile? You got it. It's all one profile. Move it to one-click investing. That's the way of the future. Nice. One-click investing. We don't even fully have it on retail sometimes, but now we have it in, uh, in private securities. So it's pretty cool. Um, last question for you here. You know, for people who are interested in learning about your deal flow, just getting to know more about DealMaker in general, where should they go? What should they do? Yeah, reach out at info at dealmaker.tech. As I mentioned, we've got a large, robust partners network, uh, you guys included, which is great. Looking forward to getting all the deals up on King's Crowd. And um, we can direct you to the right place for what you're looking for. Outstanding. Well, you heard it here first. If you're looking for some interesting deal flow, if you're looking to raise capital on a potential lower cost of capital, um, dealmaker.tech, I think it's a really interesting company. Over a billion dollars transacted last year. Certainly no small feat. Congrats to you and your team. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Chris. Pleasure. Have a wonderful day, Rebecca. Take care. You too.